<clears throat> well, concepts of peace in Iraq within a conference called Positive Peace was a very difficult talk to even think about. Um, and I tried in numerous ways to come up with some sort of um, hope. And it's, it's been a struggle. So what I'm going to do is sketch out the, the problems in Iraq, which many of which you are very um, familiar with, of course, but I'm, I'll, I'll do it from the perspective of my interviews in Iraq, extensive interviews over the last uh, six years. Um, and then I'm going to highlight um, opportunities missed, where there might have been some chances for steps towards positive peace. Though, of course, negative peace would be incredible right now. I don't even see a hope for negative peace in the next decade. So this is me looking for peace. <laughs> That's on the front line. I'm with the Peshmerga, um, and ISIS is about two kilometers away, and I can see them. Um, and, I mean, I wrote an article for the Daily Beast recently, uh, well, towards the beginning of the battle for Mosul, probably about six months ago now. And, you know, you don't write your own headlines for these sorts of things. So I didn't write this headline, but still, you can get where I'm coming from. Think Iraq looks bad now? You ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> now, so this was, um, yeah, the, the, the battle for Mosul was just about to start, and... Or, or the, f the first bit of fighting had been done, and Amnesty released a report on the actions of lots of the military units who were involved at that point. So there are, it's a very complex military situation. You have the Iraqi security forces, the official Iraqi army, ISF, um, and you have these things uh, translated as popular PMUs, Hajj al-Sha'bi. What are they called in English? Hajj al-Sha'bi. Popular mobilization units, thank you, um, uh, which are majority Shia, but there are lots of others. They are basically militias, uh, but they, are, they were made legal uh, towards the beginning of the fight against ISIS 2014. Uh, and Amnesty documented the most horrific sectarian-fueled violence, and the Shia were taking revenge on... Sunnis who were fleeing from ISIS-held territory and being very explicit that it was revenge killings. They were reported as doing so. They were happy to speak to Amnesty researchers and journalists about the, the revenge they were taking for ISIS massacres. A lot of these people who were killed were not combatants. And anyway, it's extrajudicial killings. It, just, it wouldn't have mattered if they were combatants. Um, so, I'm inspired by Mika's uh, talk to give you the conclusion up front in case I run out of time, and that is uh, that the opportunities have been missed and made impossible in the future because of political 
uh, situations and the lack of the entire lack of political will to put time and effort into their country. The corruption is huge. I think it's now second on the corruption, international corruption index. It has run out of money as a country sitting on the second largest proven reserves of oil in the world. There is, n there is no money in their reserve bank accounts. The American $85 billion bank account that was there at 2003 is entirely gone. There was a time about a year ago now, uh, a, a little bit over a year, um, where they could not afford to get the oil out of the ground to sell to pay the army. Payments to Kurdistan stopped. Uh, Peshmerga, the Peshmerga on the front line, they were not being paid at all. They, there were five months without paying the soldiers who were fighting against ISIS, and the list goes on. Uh, the, uh, there's been lots of documented cases of corruption, lots of anecdotes about it, these stories about plane loads of crates of dollars being delivered to different ministries directly from America on uh, military planes, Crates going into the ministries and from then on people emerging with suitcases full of cash with no accountability at all and then it gets to the point of implementing the programs uh, that could have built towards positive peace. There's no money for them. America provides more. Sometimes these things have been made, sometimes not. I'll get onto examples if there's time. Um, but... The, if there's no ability to deal with that level and uh, type of corruption, there's not really an ability to implement a proper plan for any sort of positive peace. Um, so that was one element of the, of the um, invasion. Sorry, I've got notes in far too many places. Um, so the post-invasion actions uh, that are probably very familiar, uh, even discarding the invasion um, itself because there was, there was no need for uh, many of the post-invasion actions. Um, it includes what we now realize was disastrous debathification, disbanding of the military, sending home so many, um, so many men without salary or, crucially, status and with their guns. In so, in Mosul alone, there were 40,000 officers in the Iraqi army who were suddenly home in Mosul without any means of supporting their families and having lost their status in the, in the community. Now, that's a huge amount of freshly unemployed men, and it's a huge amount of humiliation and anger. Now, for that, if you follow that up with the desperate efforts of the coalition forces to... Uh, to create a level of security, which, again, too big a story probably. Uh, but there were different actions in different parts of the country. Uh, what, I'm, what I can report on reliably is the perceptions of that time among the Sunnis. Um, and the perception of that is that the Sunnis were being uh, victimized more than anyone, any other group in the country. There were stories that were given to me from the general to the specific about one town, a, a Sunni tribal leader told me about one town in his area, a village, but a large village, when in one day, 80% of the 16 to 40 year olds were rounded up and put in prison. They, most of them did not go through uh, the judicial process before being released. It, I think it was recognized fairly quickly by the Americans in charge that this hadn't been a great idea. 
uh, but some were there for months before they were then released back into their community without any conviction. Now, months without a breadwinner and being that humiliated can only lead to that one village being generally anti-American. It's not really uh, rocket science. I mean, I, I don't know if a lot of these things are true, but what's important is that these perceptions are held to be true. And Kurds backed them up, my Kurdish um, interviewees, and Kurdish politicians backed it all up, and they don't really have a reason to invest in defending Sunnis. Um, so then came... I mean, the violence came almost immediately, starting with economic-type violence, looting, and so on. Uh, it was sectarian almost immediately. This idea that the Americans created the Sunni-Shia split is, is, is not borne out by the evidence. In 2003, there was a very early bombing in Karbala, one of the Shia's most holy sites, and that was a suicide bomber bombing uh, that killed many people who um, emerging out of prayers. And... Um, and very soon, that erupted into the full-scale insurgency that we saw. After that came the efforts to um, ensure security through things like curfews, increased roadblocks, and this uh, widespread imprisonment that we saw. Uh, now, one obvious counterexample to that whole descent into violence was, of course, the Kurdish region, which had enjoyed a de facto autonomy since 1991, when the international community established a no-fly zone. And they were incredibly stable from the very start in 2003. There were very many reasons for this, but it was often held up as a real model of what Iraq could be. They were granted actual political official autonomy. And they, um, in, in, in giving them power as the Kurdish regional government, the KRG. Uh, so they didn't have any car bombs, for example. Their economy boomed. Their oil extraction went up. The investment from, from uh, foreign, foreign energy companies and so on and other businesses. Uh, but what isn't recognized is the type of entity the KRG itself is. There's no... There's no reference to the fact that this is, this is also a, a, a divided region. Now, to go back to when they first had their autonomy in the 90s, it was very, very quick. Um, quick. It, it was a very short time before a civil war broke out. It was called Brother Killings, and it was extremely bloody. And it was only, it was only um, t finished... Similarly to the Lebanese civil war, um, through a ceasefire, essentially. They divided the country. The KDP ruled the Erbil side of the, country, of the region, and the PUK um, backed, started to rule from Suleimania, the second city of, of Iraqi Kurdistan. Um, when I first went in 2011, um, so well before the, the most recent violence with ISIS, um, the divisions w could be felt in all sorts of different ways, in all sorts of different levels. So the checkpoints getting between the two are very, very difficult. It feels like a border crossing in some ways. Um, but, you know, you arrive in Suleimania and everybody's dressed differently. The jokes... How do you get from Suleimania to Erbil? Oh, you fly to Damascus. Or there was a football team, the Suleimania football team, 
were playing Erbil, and at the um, at the checkpoint into the KDP area, the but the the soldier said, "Why are you coming? Well, we're here to play football. Well, do you have to play them? Well." we're supposed to be playing football. And there's all this back and forth, and it depends who's telling the joke. But ultimately, the Suli team go home, and it's recorded that they won. Because the Erbrillians would rather have that down, that they, that they lost a football match, than let all these Sulis into, into Erbil. Now, I mean, it, it, it's just, it, the, the divisions are very, very real. Um, the first elections in, um, were called, it, the, the slogan was 50-50. After the count, it was too close to call for power. So, so the divisions have stayed, and um, have translated into some real social identities on the ground that I'll come into about my my, my interviews on the front line. Um, as these identities do, they they become social realities. Now. So yes, the insurgency um, the KRG largely escaped from, but um, this is another, the, 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 the dealing with the insurgency is one of the main examples of the missed opportunity for creating uh, some different forms of positive peace in Iraq, in Arab Iraq. Now, all sorts of uh, 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 the, the, the main technique that worked in pushing out Al Qaeda in Iraq, that became the Islamic State in Iraq, was the so-called Sahawat, which means awakening. And the Americans went around to the Sunni tribes who they knew had been alienated from ISI. Uh, by the extreme form of Sharia that had already been implemented, which, by the way, Al-Qaeda central. Bin Laden wrote a letter saying you can't do things this, this, this severely. Uh, you'll alienate the local population. It's exactly what happened. And so they went, they went from tribe to tribe, leader to leader, saying, what do you need from us in order to join us in kicking ISI out? They came up with various things, and USAID were, and I probably, I've only heard this from the American point of view, so probably all the, the DFID and everybody were, were, were there in the same sorts of capacities. Um, uh, the USAID were there saying, what do you need in your communities? So the, they were paid a military salary to fight. They were promised a military salary for the next X years, depending on who they were and whether they were going to remain active members of the Iraqi army. They, they, all the negotiations about whether they were going to form their own militias or join ISF forces, um, that was all gone through. And was in it very effective because the Sunnis were back on board in a national project to defeat the extremists that they didn't want to be ruled by. And what happened? The Shia government stopped their salaries, uh, despite all promises to the contrary. And so not, it wasn't the money in itself that, 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 was, that was the, 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 the main problem there. It was the fact that how did we get taken in by Shia again? Of course they lie. They never wanted us part of Iraq. They just needed the extremists out. They don't care about us. That was the rhetoric that started up. So it fueled the already um, vicious sectarianism 
it fueled that circle of pushing them back further into their Sunni identity, away from the Iraqi identity, and this anti-Shia, anti-Iranian um, anger um, was strengthened to be far stronger than it had been before the Sahawad. So, and of course, what with all the violence since then, a lot of those USAID projects have actually been destroyed anyway. And there were, there were true opportunities there. They were building all sorts of things in all sorts of ways, supporting local banks and microfinance, supporting local um, social spaces, youth spaces, a, a whole range of things that were very cheap to do and um, potentially steps towards positive peace were pretty much destroyed. And then you see, you get ISIS. So the door is already open to anybody who will defend them. And they, they have got nobody to trust again. You can't, you can't easily go back to a community and try the same trick. How long have I had? Sorry. Okay, okay, okay. Um, so the fight against ISIS could have been seen as the existential threat that pulled together a country. You had every single group fighting against ISIS. The um, official armies, the Hajjashabis, the, um, the Christians formed militias, the um, Kurds had lots of different militias. But what we saw was such negative infighting that actually impacted badly on the war. For example, the two Kurdish um, political parties have their own army. There was no coordination. Well, there was a Ministry of Defense. The um, minister I interviewed was a member of the third party, Goran, and he said very, very candidly, there are eight sectors on the front line. There are eight um, uh, war rooms, they, they call them, and four are PUK and four are KDP, and they don't talk to each other. I heard about a war in Jalaula um, towards the Sully side of the front line, and um, where the PUK Peshmerga um, were working very, very hard to, it was the elite, it was the Republican guard of the, of the PUK ones. They, they kicked out ISIS from Jalola. It was, it, was, it was kind of bloody, but ISIS lost a lot more than they did. But the fight was very long. They had, had very little sleep for the five days that they were clearing the town because after that, the, the, the ISIS booby traps towns when they, when they retreat. So they cleared it very, very slowly. And all the time asking for backup. Well, there wasn't any PUK backup. So the central ministry sent some KDP that were local. And they argued with the commander. There was a very public argument in the middle of town. We took it. No, we took it. No, we took it. And they both withdrew. And ISIS retook it the next day. So there's that very real um, divisions within the Kurds. The Sunnis. Sunnis actually escaped from ISIS, often for the, um, reasons that could have been capitalized on. ISIS came in with a softly, softly approach to the Sunni Arab area, saying we're basing this new state, a new utopia, a new future on, the, on forgiveness. Whatever you've done in your past, whether you've worked with the government, Americans, whatever you have done, we will forgive you if you pledge allegiance to al-Baghdadi, the caliph. And if you, um, if, if you commit yourself to this new state, 
well, lots of people did that. But what ISIS did was for the, that first 10 days, two weeks, they collected the intelligence of everybody who had been involved. And then they started the executions. So lots of people, because it's a tribal area, lots of people got warnings from, from tribe or family members saying, actually, they're after you. You've got to go now. Or lots of people saw the writing on the wall if they'd been a member of the Sahawat was one major reason for being executed. Um, so a lot of them got out. The only place to take them was the KRG. A lot of them had money. They were tribal leaders. And they funded themselves to form these uh, militia units. And um, they were not accepted into any of the official armies. I mean, they don't speak Kurdish, so that's fair enough in terms of the Peshmerga. Um, uh, but they weren't involved in any sort of coordination, which is disastrous, but also they weren't trusted. The Kurds weren't ever going to trust a Sunni fighting a Sunni. They, they just assumed that they were going to betray them at some point. Or not assumed, they just, they just weren't prepared to take that risk, let's say. So I heard in great detail about one battle for a town called Kodila. It's quite near Erbil. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an Arab, Sunni Arab uh, village, so the Kurds weren't that bothered anyway because they've made it very clear that they'll only fight for Kurdistan. They said they wouldn't go a meter further. Um, so the coalition seemed to have taken this as a chance to test a Sunni militia. And they wanted to test the will to fight, and the Kurds were very interested in that as well. But nobody really thought about their ability to fight, and nobody trusted them with heavy weapons. So they didn't have any armored cars, for example. ISIS works with suicide bombs. They're the, the, one of their most successful forms of soldiers are the Inghamasi, who have a gun, but at the last minute blow themselves up if that's going to kill enough people for the cause. Um, um, and there isn't any way you can really protect yourself. So there were all these stories about, about these very scared young men just shooting, just, just absolutely pouring out their ammunition for no reason at all. There was no very good strategy. There was a lot of fear. There was no very good training to keep such a force together. And the Kurds were there and watched. In the end... Um, the coalition we, and the Sunnis were calling for the coalition to bomb and the coalition said no because the, there wasn't enough space between, between the two fighting forces so that the, there needs to be a certain amount before, before, so there's no risk to the allies, to the allied side um, so they didn't do very well, they lost a lot of people and they didn't gain the town um, and the Kurds came in the day after on the coalition's orders took the town with not too much difficulty left the Sunnis there, ISIS retook them the Sunnis ran away so everybody said Sunnis can't fight well, they can't really but who can fight without much training and without any heavy weapons against a force like ISIS um, and so that again is a real opportunity lost because the Sunnis know that nobody is standing up for them. Or, sorry, that's how they feel. So all the Sunni soldiers I interviewed were incredibly bitter about the lack of trust. Oh yes, 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 yes. Um, well, I'm just going to choose something to summarise with. So when, oh, yes, I haven't explained my actual research at all, but I use 
the uh, fusion theory, which is just how much, how bonded are you to different groups? Um, so the small circle, the, the small circle is you. The big circle is a group that I'll ask you about. So I start with family. Um, you're very separate on the far end. Just next to little bit, you feel a little bit overlap with the identity. Half, half, a lot. But here you feel at one with the group. So when I ask about family, pretty much worldwide, people say fully fused. Nation is different in different places, but the Kurds all say here. Um, uh, nobody, Iraq is always over there for any group. Um, but it's a very, very, very good test for eliciting um, feeling about the out-group as well as the in-group. And I haven't found any reason to hope for anything for Iraq from these questions with all the groups I've worked with. The only thing people ask me for when I say, what, what, do, you, what do you think about what this says about your country, is please don't call it our country. We need this to break up now. We need Kurdistan, we need Sunnis, and we need Sunnistan, Shiistan. They put it in different ways. Um, but they themselves, on the ground, do not see a sovereign entity called Iraq. They do not want the other people in their country. When you ask about the other groups in Iraq, you go right to the end over here. And so that kind of perception of peace, that they, the, the perception of Iraq that they have must be taken into account. We can't go in and say, you must commit to what are we going to do to produce a stable Iraq. They won't even sign up to such a project. Sorry to be so depressing, but that's what my research shows. So hopefully these two can be much more encouraging about the future of Iraq. <laughs>